We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Bingetown TV. This is Brian here with my co-pilot, Kyle. <laughs> and today, we're going to be talking part one and part two of the new Apple TV Plus limited series, Masters of the Air couple housekeeping items if this is your first binge town tv show that you're listening to i know i'm assuming masters of the air is going to be pretty big so if you found us through that fantastic we cover a whole slew of other shows you can find it all on bingetowntv.com currently we're also covering true detective over on hbo the traders i think that's on peacock reacher a couple animes solo leveling previously jujutsu kaisen and looking ahead to the future we're going to be covering avatar the last airbag and Shogun. So we got a lot going on here. If you like what you hear for the next, I don't know, half hour or so, go on over to BenchtownTV.com and you can find all of our previous shows and what we're covering right now. And thanks for stopping by if this is your first Benchtown TV episode. Mm -hmm. So... Mm -hmm. Like I said, this is uh, me and Kyle just... just just the two of us here, and we did, I, I'm not going to say either of us is a giant history buff, but what I will say is that back in middle school, we partnered up on a hell yes. of a Civil War project about Correct. the Battle of Antietam, yep. and we got a 99, not a 100. <laughs> I will take the fault for that yes. singular point that we lost, but what I'm saying is we are not adverse to some wartime shows, some wartime medium, um, and we are pretty excited to be digging our teeth into this show, which of course is Masters of the Air. If you are here, you most likely are aware of the previous installments, Band of Brothers, The Pacific, Tom Hanks and Steven Spielberg, of course, partnered up to produce those two. They were both wildly successful, particularly Band of Brothers. And 15 some odd years later, they came out of the woodworks and are giving us Masters of the Air. And through two episodes, I'm feeling pretty good about it. Kyle, uh, what are your thoughts? I would agree. First, uh, I'm glad that you brought up our middle school Battle of Antietam project because I was going to do the same thing. So that's funny. <laughs> we didn't even talk about that, but we both were thinking we were going to bring it up. And yeah, there's, uh, there's Georgian marksmen on the hill across from uh, Ambrose Burnside's bridge. That's how we lost uh, yeah. at one point. But uh, yeah, I so I have not seen Band of Brothers or The Pacific, which is a great oversight, it feels like, in my in my television watching resume because i know i will love band of brothers and i feel like every year it's one where i think like oh my god yeah like i should start watching band of brothers and then for whatever reason i don't so this is i guess maybe awkwardly my first entrance into spielberg and tom hanks and their their war their wartime shows i really liked these first two episodes I, I saw something crazy. I was looking up an article just like on the source material and stuff. And an article popped from 2013 that was like, hey, they're making Masters of the Air, a TV show on HBO. So this apparently has been you know a decade plus in the making, which is pretty crazy. But mm -hmm. 
I fucking enjoyed the hell out of it. I thought it was really good. It fucked, like the emotions they were getting out of me for sure. I'm terrified of airplanes, so I was for sure like on the edge of my seat watching this stuff. So again, like you said, we can't really maybe comment on the historical accuracy of things, but in terms of pure entertainment, reaction, review type of stuff, like I all positives. Dude, the entire time I'm just thinking I'm sitting here in my cushy chair. I'm a grown man being on a television (laughs) review podcast. And I'm just thinking about these young 20 something year olds. Not only are are you in war and I can't imagine the hell that you go through even on the ground, but you're conducting these war operations a mile up in the sky. You're in this just like floating metal machine praying to God that everything goes well. Like I can't even imagine And we're going to get into it because we have two great, you know, fighting scenes in the sky in these two episodes. But I don't know. They do a great job of just like putting us as the audience in that B-17 bomber and just having you kind of experience the feelings. And I mean, I'm I'm sure a lot of it is going to be triumphant. You know, we're going to celebrate the victories with them. But at the same time. They don't hold any punches. Things are going to go wrong. I mean, we lost like three planes in the first mission and they didn't even drop a single bomb. And that's kind of how they tie up part one. This is going to be this is going to be rough. Yeah, no, for sure. And I like how we're in the plane and we're getting every part of the plane. Like we're interacting Mm -hmm. with all, I guess you could say, maybe the positions or the roles. And it's just fucking intense, man. Like being on the guns, it's just. There's just open air. You're just shooting those machine guns into the air. You're on the bottom turret. You're just like literally just like a glass ball. And there's just nothing but air beneath you. Like on the top, I'm sure it's, you know, you're in the tail, the bombardier, like all that stuff is like, holy shit. Yeah. The point you make too, like they're a lot of these guys are probably, you know, eight to 10 years younger than we are right now, which is just literally insane to think about. Well, I like how they highlighted their round crew yeah. corporal or whatever, who's like 19 years old. And they're Crazy. like, he was our best guy. It's like it was different <laughs> back in the 40s, man. It was yeah. different back in the 40s. 19, I was wandering around drunk in University Park State College, Pennsylvania. Living large, baby. <laughs> yeah, living large. Wouldn't way. have it any other way. <laughs> yes. Oh, I mean, Kyle, great. correct me if I'm wrong. Neither of you are huge military buffs or like history buffs. So we're going to make some mistakes when we're going through on, you know, people's ranks or whatever. Yep. Bear with us here because. As I recall, Band of Brothers was similar. It's a giant ensemble cast, and you kind of endear yourself to everybody as the series goes on. In part one, they did try and get a lot of that out of the way with the one scene in the bar where he's like, oh, this this is the 10 people from our squadron. But like that goes in one year and out the other. So we're going to be learning as we go here. I felt much more comfortable after episode two. After episode one, I was worried. I was like, holy fuck, there's a lot of people. But I definitely Mm -hmm. felt a lot more comfortable after episode two. And I'm sure episode three and then four. And then I guess morbidly, the the actual number of names will probably decrease as we as we get further, which is, you know, an an unfortunate byproduct of of the story they have to tell. So, yep. Well, if it's anything like Band of Brothers, it gets even more confusing because new bodies replace the old bodies including our commanding officer we already lost one commanding officer and the new guy came in but we'll get to that we will get to that all right how about we start with part one no episode names it's going to be part one and two here 
and we start off in America and we meet kind of our two I'm assuming they're going to be the main characters, Buck and Bucky. <laughs> That's definitely <laughs> not going to be confusing. So, yeah. When they did that I, I was know. like, what the fuck? <laughs> well, like I don't know. Buck is a little bit more of a, a straight arrow and Bucky is kind of a little bit more of the wild card. And I feel like adding that Y to Buck, that that's true. Bucky is the wild card. Buck is like the serious guy. Yeah, yeah. The name but, Buck sounds more mature. Absolutely. But it's our two boys essentially just hanging out at the bar, having a last drink. We find out that Bucky is the air executive. So he is going to be heading overseas a couple weeks early before the rest of the 100th bomb group heads over. Both of them are majors, too. So we got Major Gail Buck Clevens. (laughs) And then we got Major John Bucky Egan. And they're just saying goodbye to their dames. And Kyle, I was like, before this episode, I was just thinking no cell phones at this point in time. You know, you are just one day you're going to be there in America saying goodbye to your sweetheart. She's going to send you off with a picture and she won't hear from you. See you for months, if not years at a time. And you're just you're just out at war. That's just crazy. The thing I was thinking of, because she she being Buck's dame, the blonde was Uh Marge? Ask, yes, there you go. About writing, you know, letters and things like that. And it's just crazy, I'm sure, the amount of mail logistics that was going on during the war. Oh, just absolutely. Thousands of, you know, hundreds of thousands of letters and all that kind of stuff. I'm sure it was just like a, just an absolute monumental undertaking. And yeah, just the fact that you're out of contact for that long, like, would be insane. Like, I can't imagine sending off someone you love to war like that. Absolutely. Yeah. And, not too much here other than you know these soldiers are saying goodbye to loved ones and people they haven't even had a chance to develop these relationships yet but yeah so that's it we got bucky heads overseas and this was actually a pretty powerful smash cut because he says all right don't die on me before i get over there bucky Boom, cut. We see Bucky on an observation mission. We look over to our left and one engine's on fire. Just like shit is hitting the fan. We got German fighters going to and fro. And this is on an observation mission. And I mean, it's welcome to the series. You are in this metal machine, miles in the sky. Things are going to go wrong. It is not going to be perfect. And after this kind of mission, this observation mission, again, he finally lands on the ground and he looks over to his uh, CO and he's like, what do I say to my boys? And CO's like, don't tell them anything. It won't make it any better or worse. They're going to get up in the air in due time and they're going to experience it for themselves. Yeah. I was trying to think, like, put myself in the shoes of, of like, I guess you could say his men. And like, Mm -hmm. would you want to know? I don't. I feel like part of me would want to know, but also, yeah, I could totally see why pretty much procedure would be like, don't fucking tell people. Cause again, these are just kids essentially at this point, they've been through some level of basic training and flight training and things like that. But I think, yeah, the, the amount of nerves you would have already without knowing the reality of things would probably be too much for you. Absolutely. For me specifically, me and Kraus. You and Cross. Oh, Cross. <laughs> well, Cross is our narrator, which I thought yeah. was kind of interesting that we're getting this story from his perspective. He it is didn't also happen much either, which was kind of odd. It feel like it literally happened that one sentence where they introduced the idea of it, and then it kind of went away. Unless I some things went over my head. 
the narration in general, yes. you mean? Yeah. There were a couple times. I mean, they're not too heavy. I'm sorry. They weren't too heavy handed with it in Band of Brothers. As I recall, you'll get a solid narration in the beginning of the episode, maybe one other time throughout just to give you a lay of the land. And then you kind of proceed with the events of the episode, okay. of course, cool. um, which leads us to his original narration, which is just what you were saying. These are kids. Most of them have never traveled far away from America, if at all. They're going overseas. They're traveling through this freaking gorge and they are making their way over to. Well, they're trying to get to England and yeah. we wind up taking a pit stop in Greenland. Yeah, they must have loved planning out all of these different flight scenes. Obviously, Master of the Air, it's built around that, but I mean, we've gotten a ton of them already, like every type of little scenario you could think of. We get the observation mission, which is just like we're thrown in the mm -hmm. fire, and then we get this one, and it's like, okay, we're showing off Buck's pilot skills on this like, you know, tough landing with the wind, and, and again, every time we're in the plane and it's something obviously is going wrong, my anxiety personally is like, whoo, like I'm just thinking of how my stomach would be feeling in the moment, and it would be literally through my ass, like under the plane. Well, I think that Greenland landing is like the perfect, even something that seems trivial is yeah. tough. You know, you're getting the crosswinds like it's it's insane. I'm going to keep repeating it. I cannot get over how difficult it would be to be in like a plane in the 1940s fighting a war. Yeah. I mean, we, we discovered flight. I'm not going to even try to guess the year because I'll probably get it wrong. But it hasn't <laughs> been, you know, it wasn't crazy long ago at this point in World War Two where like sure. you know, in general, this is still somewhat of new technology. So. And I was reading a little bit too before this that the Air Force was not really like obviously a huge part of the military because of what I just said, that flight itself was so kind of new. So World War II was kind of like a, a testing ground almost for like all these like high up commanding officers in the Air Force to like prove that the Air Force could be a legitimate part of like military strategy. Mm -hmm. And that at some level was kind of like an experiment with all of this shit. So like that's just crazy to think about that they were signing up for this experiment. And I'm I'm sorry, I might have missed it. But at the time, I believe it was the USAAF. So the mm. U.S. Army Air Force. Yes. So it was a subdivision of the U.S. Army. Yeah. Whew. Yeah, I would not have signed up. Exactly. <laughs> well, definitely not. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're yeah. definitely going to have to watch Band of Brothers. Get your yeah. feet on the ground. Soldier. I know. I'll do it Memorial Day. How about that? Right around no, that. That's yeah. No, they, yeah. I like that. Just the season. Yes. All right, so the 100th is made up of four squadrons, and Cross says right from the... <laughs> our unquestioned leaders are going to be Gail Clevins, Buck, and John Egan Bucky. Those were the unquestioned leaders of the 100th. We're also going to meet our other two majors for the four squadrons. That's going to be Major Veal, and then a guy who they call Jack, I believe. I didn't catch his full name, but those are yeah. going to be our four majors of the squadrons. It's going to be so much of just names coming at us. Yeah. Also, we meet kind of the whole squad. So we got Blakely. We got our boy DeMarco from Philly. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. We got James Douglas and Howard Hamilton from the Midwest. We got Crank from New England. We got <laughs> Joe Bubbles Payne, who is our other navigator. And then we got... Crosby, who yeah. is our narrator slash also a navigator. And then we kind of this is our first glimpse into who Major uh, Egan is going to be because Buck's asking the bartender, you know, did you guy named yeah, Bucky came came around here? He's like, yeah, that dude fucking busted up my bar. He owes me some <laughs> money. I think he gave him like a porcelain horse or something. He's like, that ain't going to cover it. Yeah, brother. he broke he broke a, a narwhal tusk. 
trying to yeah. act like a, a drunken unicorn and then sent him a porcelain unicorn. And the bartender's like, how the fuck is this supposed to make up for it? But it's almost the perfect, I don't even want to say crime, but like, like way to resolve it. Cause it's just, he just puts Buck and Buck's like, I literally have no idea what happened. So here's just the gift from him. And, and that's pretty much has to be the end of the story. Well, it's better than nothing, I suppose. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think later on Buck asks him about it and he's like, Unicorn's my favorite extinct animal. Yeah, it's just like he's a fucking Bucky, jackass. Bucky's just a little bit of a cocksmack, yeah. yeah no, I, sure. I'm just going to say it right now. Buck is my favorite character. I mean, he's just like, I'm not in the military, but if I was just like a frontline infantry, I would want someone with his yeah. demeanor to be the leader of my squad. Someone you can oh, look 100%. to and just follow suit. He is calm, cool, collected, and we see it in the air. Oh, and he yeah. has a line delivery this episode that I love. Bucky seems like a good glue guy, though. I feel like you're just hanging out with the same kind of guys all the time. Life maybe gets a little monotonous. I feel like you need some Bucky's thrown in there. Maybe not in the air executive level of leadership position, but you need him around. Well, that's the interesting thing is all of episode one, he is the air executive and he keeps on trying to come Vince, the CEO, you know, I want to be up there with my boys. I'm wondering who made the call to put that guy in the air executive yeah. chair behind a desk. But Buck sticks up for him. He says, you know, the military correctly identified that he's a good leader, but he's he's a flyer. We need him up in the air. Yeah. All right. Anyway, so we have Buck talking to the bartender. Then we get a little flashback with Bucky getting rowdy at the bar. He has a dude like <laughs> hit an apple off his Tommy. head with a dart and then he's like hooking up with a chick and then he's drunk biking back to uh <laughs> to our it's going to be the RAF so the Royal Air Force base it's called Thorpe Abbotts and at least for part 1 and 2 Thorpe Abbott is going to be kind of our home base if you will yeah. literally our home base yeah, i could say that in other shows but in this show it's literally going to be our home base so yeah now we have this crazy scene with crosby trying to get his single plane oh to the base the whole squadron makes it you know no problems but crosby gets <laughs> lost in the clouds and he's like all right where's england essentially the pilot's asking him he's like uh uh, uh okay take a left whatever yeah. the hell he says yeah his up. brains out yeah, they look up, they're getting flacked. They're like, this is France, Crosby. <laughs> that would be like, I don't know. The pressure of that would just be so insane. I, and when they land too, they're, I don't, I mean, they're not necessarily nice to him, but I feel like punches would have been thrown almost. Uh, I believe his pilot was Brady. That's how you handle it. I mean, you can't be friendly about it. You got to be, lives are on the line in yeah. this instance. You got to be like, dude, get a fucking grip or get off my plane. That yeah. is the deal. Yeah, and he did cover pissed. for him, which is good. I mean, one of the part, one of the things that I love about any wartime show, movie, whatever, is just like the brotherly camaraderie between men and men in arms. You know, it's crazy. <laughs> it's something I'll never experience, but yeah. well, you know, never say never, but I will <laughs> probably, never I was going to say, yeah, maybe hopefully, like hopefully. Yeah. The closest thing is like being on a sports team and nobody's freaking shooting at me while I'm playing yeah. lacrosse, you know, what? I couldn't imagine just, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Relax. <laughs> Take it easy. You're over shooting there. something. Yeah. Not well, Bad choice of words, but like <laughs> I, I could not imagine the bonds that you make with the yeah. men to either side of you when you're literally at war together. It's just insane. Yeah, and I know 
it's very like established psychological fact that I feel like I also try to keep in mind when watching TV in general of like this going through such like emotionally intense events, traumatic events together. Like you Mm -hmm. have no choice biologically, but to bond with people. Absolutely. Yeah. This is just, I mean, this show for the first two episodes, just been the perfect example. Like that, just the, the amount of camaraderie you would build with the guys on your plane, let alone everybody else would be fucking intense as hell. I mean, you got to have each other's back. Yeah, Yeah. That's the only way to survive. But I was also thinking going back to the, the mess up where he took him to France. I'm one like obviously that was a huge mess up on Crosby's part, but I'm thinking like if you're in a plane, the channel between England and France, like how long would it take to get that far off course? Like how long is a flight just across the channel? Like can't be long at all. I'm sure it's can't like be long at all. Yeah. 35 minutes maybe. But I mean they're coming from Greenland, so they kind of just completely missed england (laughs) yeah that was uh i just like i like crosby i was getting upset i'm like brother how how do you get air sickness and be in the air force like yeah it seems like the job for you how did he get to be in that position yeah and i mean and the fact that yeah nothing's obviously digital so he's just throwing up trying with like a pencil and a fucking ruler and shit to just I'm draw lines man. Yeah, he's just lying through his teeth through the mic <laughs> oh baby yeah i was just i mean he's obviously they show us how nervous he is to get on the planes after yeah. that too and i mean totally understandable obviously it feels like every time he gets in one he's like this is just gonna be the worst fucking <laughs> 10 hours of my life <laughs> he just knows what's coming so that sucks well for what it's worth, we're 10 minutes into the episode and they have already given us a good feeling of the anxiety inducing yeah. scenes that we have in store for us. Things can go wrong very quickly. And when things go wrong, you're getting shot at. All right. So our boys land at Thorpe Abbott. Buck and Bucky have like a small little get together. DeMarco brings his dog Meatball yeah. off the plane. Our boy from Philly is already <laughs> showing up. <laughs> Lots of personality. Um, yeah, and then we have so Bucky's going to have his meeting with the current commanding officer Huglin, who essentially says, "Well, Bucky starts it off like, dude, you got me behind the desk. I'm a peacock. Yeah. You gotta let me fly." And the commanding officer is kind of a hard ass. He's like, uh, "You got 35 men who are relying on you to instill discipline to keep them safe. Yada yada yada." Bucky ain't that guy. No. no. He's gambling for bikes and hooking up with chicks. He's not. Anyway, Bucky leaves and the commanding officer spits up blood. That's foreshadowing for what's to come. That was that was shocking. I did not see that coming. I was like, holy shit, is this going to be a storyline? But it seems like it was just a quick little almost way to move him out of the way. Oddly enough, I do wonder if he'll come back at all or not. We only have so many episodes, but I did think that was interesting. I... I mean, I don't think it's a plot device to get him out of there. I think like Band of Brothers was the same way. There's a guy that's with you for three episodes. He has a pretty heavy hand in the story. And then for whatever he gets shot, he's out. And yeah. that's just what it is. There's a revolving door of people coming in and out. And, and I do wonder one of them. the show is based off a book that was written like after like through interviews and reading everything. So this it could just be this literally happened. Oh, definitely. So <laughs> the show was just making mm-hmm. it happen. 
that's something we could probably do a better part of is kind of fact checking and and seeing what what is and it isn't actual fact. No, yeah. I digress. I do wonder. So it's it's kind of interesting the way they go about telling these guys that they're going to be flying that day. It's just being woken up in the middle of the night. Hey, Major, you're going in the air today <laughs> and kind of seeing how they do the briefing for the mission. It's it's really cool. They uh, go through the breakfast that apparently the guys come to know yeah. as the last supper. You know, they get extra GI coffee rations, <laughs> eggs, pancakes, yeah. you name it. I also appreciated in the briefing, you know, today it would be like smart boards and shit. Yeah. They just had old school projector, you know, next slide, next slide. It's old school, man. I like how sharp they all look, too. I like their their jackets when they're all like they're all sitting in the room and the, the, the jackets just look cool. Like that's obviously that's definitely got to be part of the camaraderie, too. Like we're all wearing these sick jackets together, oh, just smoking on. heaters <laughs> just in the briefing. Yeah, that's got to be part of it, too. If I'm in the military, I'm taking up cigarettes. That's that's just what (laughs) it is. It's happening. For sure. It's happening. (laughs) All right. Um, So it's going to be the 349th, 350th, and 351st that are going to be undertaking this mission. And their target is the U-boat pens in Bremen. Okay. So that's that's just what the deal is. Buck is going to be flying with Kurt Biddick, yeah. who is played by Barry Keegan. I would yes. say Austin Butler and Barry Keegan are the two big name actors that we have in this. Both of them are up and coming. And I was thinking to myself, I was like, all right, is Elvis really the right choice for this wartime actor? I got to be honest. I really like Austin Butler. Yeah. He's got this old timey look to him. He's got like this deep raspy voice and all that. He's he's doing a great job. And Buck is far and away my favorite character so far. Yeah, I think he's he feels entirely believable as like a man from the period. Mm-hmm. It doesn't feel like caricature-ish. It doesn't feel like too over the top. I think it fits like his character. And like you're saying, too, or like you said earlier, rather, about having like this type of character being one you would want to be your leader. Like it feels like that. He just everything about him feels feels right. And yeah, it's definitely I don't want to say endearing, but it's like attractive as a viewer. Is a way to say that. Attractive. Interesting. Choice yeah, you're drawn. I think you're drawn to him as a character, I guess. Is Absolutely. Maybe maybe a better way to say it. How about that? But I was shocked by Barry Keegan being in this. I, I guess I, I didn't read a ton before and he just kind of popped up and I was like, ah, this little guy. His accent is out of this world for <laughs> the character. Really I, guess, I guess he's like an Irish New Yorker and I believe the actor is Irish in real life. So that yeah, kind of checks out there. Yeah, anyway, it was funny, the it was funny in, in episode two when he's like trying to convince the, the Scotsman that he's Irish and he's not having it because he's American. <laughs> he's like, well, my family's yeah. Irish. I just thought that was funny. That was good. And also um, Callum Turner, I believe is his name, who plays Bucky. Mm-hmm. And apparently he's a, a fairly well, I don't want to say well known, but a, more of like an up and coming actor as well. But I found I out right before this recording that he is one of my arch nemesis is because now he's dating Dua Lipa, the bastard. Ooh. Yeah. Good for him. Ali, ah, I'm proud him. of him. You know. Yeah, good for him. That's, you just got to be happy for people sometimes. Yeah, I you guess. Know? Yeah, I guess. 
First time in the sawmill, boys. Let's rack them up and knock them down. That's what I want my pilot to be saying before yeah, we board true. that B-17. <laughs> so we get up in the air. It was cool to just see them going through their pre-flight checks, you know, like, oh, my gosh, they have this stuff down to a T. But like at the end of the day, once you're off the ground, you're off the ground and any a million things could go wrong. So they do a great job of kind of just building the anxiety immediately. Everybody's like, yo, I can't see shit in this soup. Yeah. There are way too many clouds going on here. Yeah. And it's, it's fun. Well, fun's not the word, but it's like, you're saying right when they take off, it's immediately your head goes to, okay, what is going to be the issue? Who's going to have the issue? How serious is the issue Mm going to be? How quickly is the issue going to pop up? Like you're just immediately this heightened sense. So I'm like locked into the show. Obviously, when they're on the ground, they're building character as well. But when they're the planes are taking off and in the air, I'm like locked into the screen. And as the operation continues, it turns out to be Major Veal, who is the one who experiences issues. He's trailing smoke. One of his engines is failing. And Buck is essentially like, yo, your squad is trailing behind. You got to make a call, Veal. And Veal ducks out. So that is one fort. They call him forts is already heading back to base. And the 349th is trailing behind. Mm -hmm. Right. When that happens, the flak starts raining down. And I like. Going from your basic training to actually like seeing that shit all around you for the first time, I I couldn't imagine. No, oh my god, I saw on the internet like a quick, like army, like old army training video on flak, and dude, being in that plane and it rocking side to side and like the glass cracking and all that shit and shrapnel coming through the glass would just be insane. I think, I mean, they they subtly mention it. But like people are just like pissing themselves. Like I would be fucking terrified of all of this happening. And then plus they're talking about you know the temperatures. Obviously that gets more into like episode two. They talk about the aftermath of this operation. But yeah, all of that stuff just insane, dude. He tries to touch the gun. His hands just immediately all the skin just gets fucked because it's frozen. It's just like a death trap. It's literally a death trap. It is. It is. That's the <laughs> word for it. Death trap. It's fucking that crazy. Absolutely right. So, I I mean, there's not much. We get just a lot of them maneuvering through the flak and them experiencing the hell that is their first combat experience. And as we progress, they're looking to the commanding uh, Huglin and being like, yo, do you see the target? No, I don't see the target. Does anybody see the target? No, none of us have visuals on the target. And the CEO's like, I am not dropping bombs on a target that I cannot see. I'm scrubbing the mission. So right then and there, they make the decision. We are not dropping bombs today. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. I was surprised. I thought that feels very like by the book type of deal. And especially because we get afterwards, they mentioned that they literally just dumped them in the English channel. I think they said, or like just in the ocean, essentially. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. That was. They were using a word for it, but I got the impression, yeah, they just dumped the bombs in the channel. So I guess yeah. they can't reconcile it if they 
don't drop. I guess uh, in part two, we did say the guy was removing pins from them. So maybe once the pins are removed mm. yeah, that's from fair. the bonds themselves, they can't be reconciled. But yeah, yeah, I was surprised that they got nothing out of this. But I mean, this is a great entry to the series. I mean, they conduct this mission and they have absolutely nothing to show for it. So yeah. once the decision is made that they're they're scrubbing the mission, it's just like, all right, how are we going to get our boys home safely? And the answer is we don't get everybody home safely. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately. It was a great transition to, okay, we're scrubbing the mission, and then you stop here in the boom, and someone's like, all right, the flack has stopped. You know what that means, oh boys. Yeah. Get ready. And you just see these German flighters, fighters start whizzing by. As we have mentioned, the 349th, which was Major Veal's squadron, has been trailing behind. And I think there was there was kind of a narration that said, hey, the utility of the B-17 bombers is that we have 12 machine guns like all over this fortress. But like the way that we are efficient is by staying in a tight formation and sticking together, because if one of us sags behind or trails behind, the fighters can just pick us the hell yeah. off. And sure enough, that's what they do to the 349th. They take three B-17s out of that squadron. Yeah, I was... I mean, I know that it's been like intense up until this point, and but we've seen like a little bit of blood. But I mean, they showed that dude's entire face shot out, and I was like, "Damn, okay." Like, I, I not that I wasn't necessarily expecting that level, but I think the first time it hits you in any TV show, like where they establish the level of gore that they're willing to get to, it's like, yep. "Damn!" And that was like, "Okay, fuck, yeah, we're we're in the shit." Talking about the dude with just his his complete mouth hanging off. Yeah, yeah. He tries and to I, turn, his pilot copilot tries to turn and say something to him, and then they just the camera just goes on his face, sagged in the seat, and I was like, "Okay." And okay. that was the last image that guy has in his yes. head before the plane blows up. So yeah. it, yeah, I mean, not shying away from which is good, which is good. It's a wartime show, and I mean. You know, it's on Apple TV now, but that's what HBO is known for. They're mm -hmm. not going to hold any punches. Yeah, that's what we're dealing with here. So not much to go over, but, you know, the German fighters take out the three forts and everybody just tries to get back to Thorpe Abbott as best they can. And it's it's Bucky there in his binoculars and everybody's just counting the planes that are coming back 19 took off one returned because of the engine failure and three are missing all three of them were from major veal squad right when people are getting off the plane we have commanding officer huglin just pukes up more blood and passes out he's down for the count and then we have bucky drive up in his four-wheeler to get buck and Buck is just a little rattled. He's looking at the wreckage of his own B-17 that's all yeah. torn up. And actually, I was reading that's one of the things the B-17s became known for is toughness, because like a lot of them were able to return, even though they had gotten shot up like that. Yeah. But Buck's just I mean, taking engines it all in. and shit, which is crazy. Yeah. And he does say to him, I think it's I'm pretty sure it's at the end of this episode. I don't think it's in episode two. And we get back to that point of mm -hmm. when Bucky goes on his first flight. He's like, what do I say? And then he says, gets told to say nothing. And then after this flight, Buck's yeah. like, you didn't fucking tell me it was like that. <laughs> I mean, and that goes back to what you were saying. Would it do them any good to yeah. just have them going up there for the first time, pissing their pants? Even if you say it was the worst thing ever, like they could never actually feel it yeah. until they feel it. So and, and Bucky just says, what, what was I going to say? I didn't know what to say. Yeah. 
I can't and even yet, imagine that feeling of just landing back on the ground. I mean, and getting just ten toes there, down, yeah. yeah, just getting ten toes down and being like, "Holy moly!" And Buck also highlight first thing he says is, "We didn't drop a single bomb. Like thirty men just like that are gone, and they didn't even partially complete the mission." Yeah. So that's just that's what we're dealing with here. Crazy stuff. I, yeah, and this again gets us into Bucky. I thought it was a, it's a seamless transition into episode two. Kind of the episode sure. two storylines, especially with Bucky being like, fuck, you know, I want to do something like I want to feel something like he sees all of them dejected after the mission. And he's just like been chilling and he's like, what the yeah. fuck? Like, I I want to engage in those extremes of emotion, which obviously is maybe you could say a little unhinged, a little crazy. But I think he wants to be up there with the guys. And obviously, that's a big part of what happens in episode two. Well, it's great. Military people are built different. They want combat like. Me personally, if I get that air exec job, I'm like, oh, I'm going to be behind a desk, bro, come on. But no, they're built different. They're wired different. They want to be up there experiencing the combat. And another part of that, I'm sure, is the camaraderie. If your boys are going through it, you want to be up there experiencing the same things with them, bleeding with them, whatever it may be. But like you said, it's kind of a seamless transition. People are still getting off. And Bucky has to intervene because I think some of the guys are trying to get on Major Veal's case. You know, why the fuck did you go back? We lost three planes from your squadron. He's like, everybody go to interrogation, go to interrogation. So I didn't know that was a thing. But of course, after a mission goes off, especially a botched one, they're going to want to know exactly what happened from everybody's perspective. And it's kind of just Bucky walking through the room. Everybody's being interrogated and all of them are just saying, dude, we couldn't see a damn thing. The cloud cover was just like soup and and the German <laughs> fighters came out of nowhere and, t- and took some of us down. Yeah, just a mess. And, and the interrogation room scenes were a mess, too. I feel like they were all just at a table yelling at each other <laughs> and the four people that were trying to record it all are just imagine having that job yeah, yeah. yeah. just screamed at from every angle it's like okay i wonder how much information they're actually getting down here so as you alluded to we did have two people two people experienced frostbite uh the one guy was in i guess the underbelly gun and mm-hmm. he's in that kind of little glass bubble that got shot through immediately once that was punctured i mean it gets freezing cold, like yeah. freezing, freezing cold. And this guy's name was Bosser. The doctor essentially tells Buck, yeah, we this is more than we can handle here. We got to ship him out. He's got it all over his buttocks, his arms. And then the other guy, Dickie, was the guy who took off his gloves trying to fix his jammed gun. And he's like kicking himself. He's like, what the hell was I thinking? Yeah. Like taking off my gloves. It, it, I, I was glad that they put this line in where the doctor tells Buck as I don't know if you would call him the commanding officer, but the commander of the squadron, he's like, Buck, you got to remind your guys where they are. They are miles up in the air. It is freezing cold. They have their uniforms for a reason. And these are unnecessary casualties. Like that is a guy that we could not afford to lose. And now we can't send him up because he took off his gloves. you got to remind them where they are. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I feel bad for Bosser because he obviously just pissed himself because he literally almost died. That shrapnel almost came right by his I mean, it did come right yeah. by his face. It didn't hit him in the face. That would just, must have just obviously been an involuntary. Like, I just pissed myself because I literally <laughs> just stared death in the face. And I'm still staring death in the face as I'm hanging, you know, however many 35,000 feet in the air. So, yeah, that just would be like, fuck. 
afterwards. Hey, like you, you know, nobody you're blames fucking you, got but yeah, you're just like <laughs> son of a bitch. And he says like, ah, get you to get back in the fight, boss. <laughs> just like, ah. yeah. And I'm so I I randomly thought about this back in part one when Bucky was on his observation mission. I forgot to emphasize how one of his guys got shot. And Bucky left mm. his post in the pilot's chair to go back true, and true, give true, him true. first aid. I wanted to highlight that because, like, Bucky clearly likes to fuck around. But when he's on a mission, he is also that kind of leader. You would want to be in Bucky's plane. He's going to be looking out for his boys. And he's a very capable airman. Yeah. No, that's a good call. That's a good call. Okay. So, speaking of Bucky, he is not taking the news of that botched mission very well. He is also drinking again. Yeah. <laughs> um, and we just see him on the wing of the plane and he's like kurt i don't feel anything man you gotta punch me so i can feel it and that's just the kind of guy he does barry keegan gives him the old <laughs> the old haymaker to the kisser he, he like does say it's an order or something yeah he does say it's an oh my god i would love <laughs> to just be able to pull rank on you and just be like punch me in the face well i wouldn't use it that way but <laughs> i'd fair. be like that's fair Get me a shot. That's an order. Something like that. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I wonder what the, uh, yeah. the leeway you have there is. I'm sure at certain points it's literally unlimited authority, and maybe some yeah. other points it's uh, it's not so unlimited. Right from that scene, getting punched in the jaw, we have Bucky going to meet the new commanding officer, who is going to be Neil Harding, I believe his name is. This guy just reminded me of like Robert Downey Jr. Really. Yeah, maybe not. I just like the way he looked and not necessarily the way he acts or talks. I don't know why, but I was like looking at him, like leaning into my laptop, like, who is mm. this guy? Who is this guy? I knew it wasn't him, but it was just like, just piqued my interest. I don't know who I he is, though. I thought he had a similar look to Luke Wilson. Interesting. Owen Wilson's brother. They're brothers, right? Anyway, I thought he looked like him. <laughs> I was like, I think so. Point of it is, new CO, Neil Harding, and he is way cooler than the old CO in Huglin. He lights up a cigar. He's like, hey, Huglin really didn't have much great to say about your job as an air exec. I know you want to be a flyer. Point I'm getting to is this new CO makes a call, demotes him back to being just a, command, a squad commander, I suppose. And then the other major who is... The one of the four that we haven't really gotten a lot of screen time for, I think his name's just John or Jack. He gets the short end of the stick and is now the new air executive. So the other major is behind the desk, but our boy Bucky is back in the air. It doesn't receive the news very well, which I just thought was funny. He goes, fuck. He's just like, just pissed off. And then he's like, I don't want to be the one to wipe your ass, Bucky. So that was funny. It's just they're almost swapping this job that nobody yeah. seems to fucking want everybody wants to fly no one wants to sit behind a desk mm -hmm. and honestly and be in charge of wrangling all of these cats i mean obviously there's a a range of personalities and levels of discipline and all that kind of stuff i'm sure it's quite the headache absolutely he does seem and more capable at the job though uh, well it's like a much better choice least, <laughs> and someone like who's much better choice we didn't talk about it in part one but how do you feel about the opening title sequence that was People liked it for Band of Brothers. That's a big thing for these series. I thought it was good. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not like, I, I guess I'm not someone that tries to watch a ton of them. Maybe that's also like an, uh, like an anime leftover thing where like I'm almost trained to skip them because they're so spoiler filled mm. in them. But yeah, I thought, I think the music in general of the show is very good and in even branching off of music, just the sound design in general. So I think the, the music hit me 
and was more interesting maybe to me patriotic military yeah. vibes no they it, they did a good job yeah i would agree all right so now we get another crosby narration and this is a little bit of theme of the episode but he's like everybody who goes up in the air thanks their lucky stars for the ground crew if it weren't for them like we wouldn't be able to do what they do when we're in bed sleeping they are working tirelessly making sure that our you know planes are ready yeah. to go but they're also doing repairs when we come back and that's where we get this dude ken lemons the 19 year old corporal gets a highlight he's like he he was the best one we had when they so he interacts with the little kid in this first scene and it's like, oh, this guy's great. Yeah. 19, they, they, yep. you know, the army loves him. He's good with the little kids. And then later, when they do the cleaning scene with the fire, I was thinking, like, mm -hmm. okay, like something's going to explode and he's going to die. Oh, dude, no, that would have been, <laughs> I mean, that would have been too much. <laughs> we got to have some wins here. I don't know, man. I think he might go. Whoa. <laughs> it's just, we'll it see. Seems, we'll see. We'll see. I mean, again, obviously, this is based off of some. I would assume they're shooting for a very high level of historical accuracy. Uh -huh. So if something did happen to this guy in real life, I'm not going to look it up. I don't know. It seems maybe that's too Hollywood thinking. Like they're showing us this guy and highlighting him. And so that's going to feel worse when uh -huh. he eventually, unfortunately, passes away. But that's the way it feels right now okay. with how they're presenting him. He's almost right. too perfect. Put it on the board. Put it on the board. Yeah, I'm comfortable with that. This isn't going to be a big theory show, but put it on no. the board. Yeah, no. it's hard to. <laughs> I think it's hard to develop theories for the most part for it. The allies win. That's my theory. <laughs> one thing I am curious about is is how long. Like, I do we get to the end of the war? That seems most likely because it'll sh it should only be a one season thing. But I'm yeah. just kind of curious if it's like a hard stop at the war. Maybe we get like an aftermath type of thing. Just kind of early the thoughts. The time stamp was nineteen forty three, right? And Part one. Correct. Okay. I I only bring that up because I know Band of Brothers follows Easy Company towards the end of the war. So that kind of follows them wrapping it up. But this is more towards the beginning, if not in the thick of things. So yeah, just a yeah. little bit of a different perspective there between the two shows. Yeah. Yeah. I guess we'll see if there's any type of time skips or anything like that. We'll just have to keep an eye out. Well, you are rooting for Ken Lemon's demise, but in this scene, Not accurate. <laughs> we do have one plane go down in the background, and that's one of these other unnecessary casualties. It's just a plane crashes. They said it was a test run for one of the replacement fortresses that's replacing the three that they lost in the 349th, and they said he he hit the turn too late and too slow, and he stalled out in the air, and that's... That's one plane gone, 10 men. They were insinuating, right, that they all died, right? I mean, I, I, I don't know. Yeah, if, that was that was my take. Okay, yeah, because I they had like the the stretchers, but they didn't use any of the stretchers. And I, I guess my hopeful, optimistic mind was like, oh, I mean, they obviously all hit their shoots, practice run type of deal. But no, it did seem that uh, they didn't use those stretchers and that was kind of a sign that yeah there wasn't any reason to use the stretchers when you could just use a body bag i took it the same way yeah. i think we lost those guys yeah but then that takes us to kind of the debrief where the new commanding officer is just like yeah we are now like 60 guys down from where we started just one mission ago we don't have replacements yet and I think he just tells Buck and Bucky that some of his men will have to fly with the 349th just to accommodate their losses at this point. And they're like, all right, boss, you got it. Uh, 
chain of command is a hell of a thing, man. Just having to look at the guy above you and be like, yep, you got it. 100%. Yeah, pretty Crazy. much no matter what. <laughs> Not pretty much. Just eh, no, pretty much no matter what. You're yeah. right. You're right. <laughs> All right. So later that night, the boys go out drinking and pretty they're drinking soon. with the Brits. Yes. And the Brits are a bunch of pansies. Yeah, talking a lot of shit. Talking they a lot are of talking shit. a lot of shit. And they're so proper and smug with their little cigarette. Ah, Calling it maths, plural. Get the hell yeah. out of here. This was an interesting scene when then you think back to episode one, two, when they didn't drop the bombs because they couldn't really see what they were hitting. And that's yeah. just they're The Brits obviously have the exact opposite philosophy where they literally bomb at night because it's more safe and they're just completely indiscriminate with who mm-hmm. they're bombing. Like they, the Brits would have dropped those bombs a thousand percent. They wouldn't have given yeah. a fuck. And yeah, I just think it's a nice philosophical split that they're that they're showing us. And and just doing a little reading, it was very true. This is exactly how it happened. The United States Army Air Force was very committed to this like precision bombing during the day, while the Brits didn't really give a fuck. And I think they they talked about it too. I and I, I could be mixing up the mm-hmm. the show or what I read, but basically Britain at this point, they do say it in the show, this part at least, that they had been fighting Germany, obviously, for years at this point. Four years at this point, yeah, they so say they, in the show. They stopped really giving a fuck. They hated the Nazis more than we hated the Nazis yeah. at this point in time. Yeah. Hit a couple houses, they don't give a fuck. They just yeah. want to kill some Germans. Yeah, and going along that strain, they name drop the Norden bomb site, which I would assume is just some sort of target locator target identifier that allowed the americans to bomb with more precision crosby described it as the second most closely held secret of the war behind the atomic bomb so yeah that's pretty cool there yeah i did read that the atomic bomb price tag i think they said was like two billion and this was like one billion so oh, they, damn. they spent a lot of money on it. i was reading too that a lot of People like first-hand accounts, pilots, and everything like that was like it was nowhere near as influential and like successful, I guess, as they tried to sell it before the war. They tried to say like you could put a bomb in a in a pickle barrel from thirty-five thousand feet, and it just was <laughs> not like that type of deal. But and I read it too because it was like Europe. Obviously, the winds are different, cloud covers different. Mm-hmm. Your your plane's getting fucking flacked and shaking yeah. and going crazy. So like everything that they tested on the clear skies above the United States obviously was not the same conditions as they experienced in Europe. I also read, this is very interesting just to keep going on this tangent that when they tried it in Japan, they literally forced them to discover the jet stream. They did. What do you mean? The jet stream? Like is the, that the wind? Yeah. Yeah. The way that the wind was blowing, I, I guess specifically in this huh. case by like Japan that like, like Asian countries knew about it, but the mm. Western countries apparently, I guess, weren't so believing in it. And then it got to World War II and it was impacting the, the accuracy of our bombers so much that they were like, oh, what's going on here? And then they like discovered, I guess you could say, quote unquote, or kind of caught up, let's say, yeah. to the idea and the, the existence huh. of the, the jet stream, which is just interesting. interesting. Oh, we're yeah. getting some heavy winds. Oh, we're yeah. getting the same heavy winds every single time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much, pretty much. Like we, we oh, I mean, like, thing. yeah, we're new at this, but I don't think we suck this bad at dropping bombs. Yeah. So I like what you said. This this scene at the bar is definitely a good emphasis of the philosophical split between the Brits and the Americans. And like what I was saying earlier, the amount of camaraderie you have between your brother to your right and left, men at arms. 
I'm sure there was a little bit of a rivalry, even though the Brits and the Americans were on the same side. I mean, if I was forced to play lacrosse with someone from Ridley, I'd be like, this motherfucker. <laughs> oh, my God. Example. <laughs> but yeah, no, it I was ridiculous. Exactly I wouldn't actually be like that, but maybe I would. <laughs> I see what you mean. And I mean, it's all it's a lot of, you know, machismo, a lot of testosterone, oh, yeah. a lot of adrenaline involved in all this. So this was good. I, I like I, I enjoy the scenes where they're kind of hanging out at the base being bros. Although obviously the scenes in the air are like gripping and, and much more entertaining. Mm-hmm. It's a good plurality, you know, mm-hmm. because when they're not in active combat, I'm sure they were just like hanging out, having a good time or yeah. trying to while they Throwing can down. Yeah, that's going down. That's fair. Our boy Kurt knocks the Brit out in one shot because the dude's a pussy. Why would he not be? We get the story of No Engine Clevens, which is just like building the lore of Gale Clevens. And he just seems like the best pilot of the group. Like he is that guy. And I like how Bucky is like, my boy Buck doesn't like sports. He doesn't do any of that stuff. And he's like, yo, Buck, but but you like boxing? a test of manhood one man against another man that i can get my head behind yeah that's that was good and they even get just to i guess maybe connect the two scenes when we get later on at the end of this episode when he kind of explains almost why he doesn't like sports with Mm -hmm. the backstory of his dad so i thought that was all good character building for him and i'd like obviously it's a very on purpose and it's very true to his character but i like how they're all telling the story about him to other people while he's just sitting there chilling yeah drinking his ginger beer his ginger beer yeah, yeah he doesn't like drink all his either. boys are sitting there drinking whiskey like telling stories about him in front of him to other people to like impress them yep. and i just the, the aura that he has is, is very good just a cowboy from wyoming to like of course yeah, he's from funny. wyoming where else would he be from <laughs> all right so after that scene at the bar the boys go to sleep there's another emphasis about the ground crew working tirelessly. And then it's time for another briefing from our new CO Harding. And today's target is going to be the submarine pens in Trondheim, Norway. So he goes through it. The 100th bomb squad will be, I don't know, I guess the lead group. They're going to rendezvous with the 95th and they're going to hit this target together. So the 100th will be leading the wing is what they call it with Major Egan in Blakely's Fort. I feel like when you got a mission that was something like Norway and the coast, I would feel much better. What, not Germany or France? And- yeah, well, Bremen would be like, <laughs> fuck, okay. Oh, like, we're yeah, obviously no, like flying over some level of land and way closer to you know Berlin, like the heart of the, the Nazi war engine, you could say. But yeah. Norway, we're flying kind of over the ocean most of the time. I'd be like, okay, like this, yeah. this won't be that bad, obviously. There's risks every time, but I would be like, like a little subtle fist pump underneath the table. Mm-hmm. I did like how the CO goes, and today's target is drumroll, and the guys start freaking out. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I guess you gotta. Oops, sorry. I guess you gotta inject a little level of mm-hmm. levity and fun and shit into it because it can't all be doom and gloom. Yep. And we find out as as they're getting ready to to hit the air that Bubbles is sick, so Crosby is going to have to take his spot in Major Egan and Blakely's fort. He will be leading the wing. So I guess he is just like the lead, lead navigator of this whole operation, which he's nervous whenever he goes oh up. God. He's like double nervous for this one. Yeah. Bubble seems like he's got a level head on him. He's like, yo, Cross, you're going to be good. Take my snow globe. You know, these nice. are the numbers. You know what you're doing. 
the dude in his ships like i've seen bubbles do it a million times so it can't be that hard like all the <laughs> boys are just like gassing him up little does he know though little does he know this guy just yaks everywhere all the time I totally thought when he was thrown up in the helmet when they get up there eventually that he was throwing up in the other guy's helmet. Oh, it was, was funny. It was pissed. still yeah. funny the way it went, but I really <laughs> thought that's the way it was going to go because he does throw up on the other guy in the first mission, which was mm-hmm. which was like fuck type of deal. So I would be yeah. so pissed. Oh my god, I would be uncomfortable and upset anyway. If I got puke on me, I'd be like, "Come on, get it yeah, together." Especially, I mean, in your helmet and you put it on your head. Oh my god, I mean, you can't really. Shit was gross. Throw punches in the middle of a mission like that because you're putting everyone else in jeopardy. But I'd be like, wait till we fucking land, buddy. Absolutely. Yeah. So we get that scene with lemons clearing the airway with the kids, burning it with gasoline. You were hoping that he was going to fall into the fire. He did not. He lives to see part three, hopefully. (laughs) And then we get the cut scene. 30 minutes to target off Norway's coast okay so crosby is going through it with the air sickness uh he's this entire mission he's a step behind with the calculations as you alluded to he's like we need those numbers give me the numbers he's like oh one second i'm still calculating just making shit up it sounds like he looks out the window and he goes that probably gotta be it like let's get me let me get a 17 degree turn right It's like this guy, man, he's putting everyone at risk. Like, although I guess your eyes are obviously better confirmation than you draw yeah. on a map. So maybe that's maybe they teach you that in school. And I mean, it, this mission goes a lot better than the first mission. Yeah. I don't think the story here is the bombing itself. However, we do get our bombs away clean. Yeah. The story here is Crosby and his air sickness kind of rising to the occasion through adversity and getting everybody home. And of course, Kurt Barry Keegan, I think his name is Kurt Biddick. Mm-hmm. So that's the full name there. He's having engine failure at this point. He's got two engines down. I think he loses a third. So he can't keep the pace and a decision has to be made, which our boy Bucky does make the decision. We are we are slowing our pace and we're going to give him protection and get him home safe. Yeah, which puts them at risk. I, I didn't I didn't clock that at first, but obviously it makes a lot of sense. They're moving much slower and we do get the two German fighters that come very mm-hmm. quickly to try and pick off. Kurt, Kurt Biddick, and whoo, close one for him. They, I don't know, I don't, they, I don't know if they called out who specifically blew the plane up because I feel like that would be a big thing. Like we got one mm-hmm. type of deal. I would be like, dude, that was me on that gun. I all that would. Shit. Oh yeah, <laughs> type of deal. <laughs> I kind of so, wish we had someone claim it. Yeah. So I mean, maybe we will. I'm not entirely sure, but that the the Biddick storyline now I think is is interesting. I wonder. We get obviously the crash landing in Scotland mm-hmm. and we get the phone call later, which was hilarious and great. So I wonder what more is in store for that or if we'll just kind of have a quote unquote fast forward where they're just kind of back at the base. Like there's no point in sticking with them. I do wonder if someone's going to go down in like enemy territory. It feels inevitable that someone planes going down and like they I would land. agree that's got to happen. Yeah, I, that, that feels like it needs to happen, but we'll see what happens. I'm honestly just like awaiting it like for it to happen. Like it felt like it was maybe going to happen yeah. here where they were going to have to bail out and land somewhere and then like survive. But although then think kind of on the other side, like do we have like would we really just follow people on the ground during Masters of the Air? I guess we'll kind of. Hell see. yeah, we would. Are you kidding me? I no, for sure. I'd I'd follow oh, I mean, the boys on the ground. <laughs> I'm interested for sure. I just is that the point of the show? I guess we'll see. Yeah. So, I mean. 
they made it seem like if they did not support him while he was losing the pace, he is 100% dead in the water. Like yeah. we would have lost Kurt there. He put, you know, eight planes, however many it was at a little bit of jeopardy to keep him going. And that's yeah. just a call that Egan made. I mean, and that's just going back. Bucky is a good leader at the end of the day, even though yeah. he likes to fuck around. He is a good leader and takes his job as an airman seriously. For sure. The other highlight here is Crosby, who, you know, it's one thing for him to follow the original plan business as usual. But once this happened with Kurt, he had to reroute them. He came up kind of thinking on his feet. He goes up to the to the cockpit or whatever and says, yo, we're going to do this. I think this will give us the best chance. And if he has to take it down, we'll be over Scotland anyway. If he needs to like has to force yep. to put it down. So exactly how it played out. Exactly how it played out. I think it like that's just like wartime, though fucking b-17 yeah. crash landing in a farm you just like go into the cottage it's like hey <laughs> we're americans not german yeah they they'll fuck freaking that give you some up. whiskey you guys start partying <laughs> for the night you'll like call back to your base hey you, you know i'm chill with the scots yeah, even though they, they hate the brits too you know they like me because i'm irish <laughs> <laughs> that was i think maybe my favorite scene that phone call was great oh it was great i yeah. i like kurt I like yeah. her a lot. <laughs> Barry's great. That's why I was worried. I was like, is this going to be the end? Like, is he going to be like a little short, quote unquote, cameo in this series? Or will he, you know, be in more episodes? And I'm glad that he's in more episodes because he seems also like a good little glue guy as well. Absolutely. Yeah. So we get the rest of the hundredth gets back to uh, to home base, you know, and Crosby goes to visit Bubbles, who is still puking his guts out. I'm sorry. And Bucky comes in and tells Crosby, yo, the CEO is very impressed with what you do. And Crosby's not taking credit for it. He's like, oh, I was going off bubbles numbers like I barely got his back. I wasn't giving updates. And Bucky's like, listen, dude, at the end of the day, you got us all home. Like yeah. we're all here because of you. So that's like a huge gold star for Crosby. Yeah, it's, it's and we might interesting have a to watch his like development. And we get, not even to jump ahead, but we also mm -hmm. get the scene a little bit later on when I think it's Jack, the new air exec, whatever his name ends up being, Jack, okay, and yeah. then the new, um, the new CO are asking Crosby to recommend someone for this like new kind of maybe higher, yeah. higher level than just being a navigator on a plane. You're like involved in planning, all that kind of stuff. He immediately deflects all type of praise and everything yeah. off of himself and recommends Bubbles, which I thought was interesting just because you would think in his state of how he hates flying he would be like me <laughs> like get me behind the yeah. desk type of deal so that's going to be interesting to follow for the for the future well i can relate to never like being really adverse to accepting praise yeah. for yourself and be like no like he's the guy you want he's the guy for the job he handles his stuff even if crosby is doing a fine job yeah no um, it was selfless i it would be tough for me to decline the, the desk chair versus oh, gosh. <laughs> continually go on these air missions. Well, we've already talked about that, especially yeah. if you're getting air sickness. I'm wondering why he wasn't like, hey, I might be good yeah. at that job. But yeah. oh, well. when we're still in the infirmary, uh, Bucky does say, hey, you did a great job. I'm moving you to Blakely's fort full time. Bubbles, we're going to get you a new fort once you're all patched up. So but maybe by the time Bubbles is patched up, he will be assuming this desk job. It yeah. remains to be seen, but I'm sure we will get an update on that in one of the subsequent episodes. Yep, yeah, for sure, for sure. 
We get at too a little bit. So Crosby obviously is a big focus of of this mission, but I, they gave us a lot of screen time for Douglas too in this episode, the bombardier on uh, on Bucky and and Kraz's mm-hmm. plane. So you know he talks. I mean he he's the one who greets Kraz when he gets on the plane. He's dropping the bombs, all that kind of stuff, and then we see him with yeah. the girl later. So uh, just nice that we're also getting more information about a lot of these side characters. So that was all the same person. Yes. He was the one in that. Bo- okay, I gotcha. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. that's why. I mean, unless I'm mixing people up, but I'm pretty sure that that was all Douglas. No, nah, I think you're right. I'll buy yeah. it. Yeah. So we're just expanding. Obviously, we have names, but we need kind of more than names for a lot of these characters if we want to be more invested in them and, and their story and their role in it. So it's just nice that we're getting these moments to flesh them out like that. Although He's he gonna... has no Riz. Whoa. I mean, I was going to say the opposite. <laughs> oh, well, He's I got guess a little bit. Oh, maybe not the what's intended. What's the difference between a hippo and a zippo? <laughs> that, I mean, it was not <laughs> One's kind of heavy. Not for his girl. Not for the girl he wanted. And he did. He just went right up with the offer of splitting the money. I mean, Ah, we'll see what happens. I guess we never got closure on if he won the bet. I thought the chick said, hey, looks like you hit a bullseye because she did kind of chuckle. I also didn't tell which one he was actually trying to woo. And who was like the the one who girl comments on the bullseye, I believe, is who he's trying to woo. Oh, okay, I got I like the um, she didn't laugh. Yeah, the like classic i would say time period joke where the blonde guy is like whoa they should put her into mass production yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i thought that was a funny way to, yeah, to give funny. her a compliment <laughs> they should put her into mass production absolutely <laughs> yeah and i mean this is one of those kind of take a breath scenes where they are yeah. getting a reprise from the combat i mean there are women at the base they kind of can flirt and i mean these are all military guys they are Probably trying to wife someone up at this yeah. point in time. Um, probably all horned up too, all that adrenaline. Oh, you kidding me? Everyone's horned up, dude. It's yeah, the forties. I'm trying to but, think of what it is. Is it like Sparta? It's got to be like Spartacus. Organicus is like, there's nothing better after a fight than a woman. <laughs> it's like okay, I just I think know, of that I all guess, the time. But, yeah, when I watch and hear things like this, it's just funny. Shout out to Organicus and Spartacus is. Ganicus. They're coming. They're making a new series of Spartacus. Oh, that's going to be good. Yeah. Coming you know, whenever. I never actually watched the the season three after Blood and Sand. Blood and yes. Sand was the first. The second one was Heroes or Gods of the Arena Gods of the or arena, something. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. watch Spartacus on Showtime. Yeah. Stars. Spartacus on Stars. Yeah, Give that a watch and uh, yeah. listen to our coverage at PinchedTownTV.com. Hey. Hey, 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 hey. All right. So another highlight of how Egan might have a drinking problem. He looks over <laughs> to his fellow majors. Yo. The only thing this band is missing is vocals. Should I sing, Buck? No. How about you, Jack? Should I sing? No. Looks over at Veal, doesn't even ask. <laughs> and then he just goes up and sings anyway. Kind of kills it. I'm not yeah. going to lie. Oh my God. He does well, a good job. Feels part of the, like, you need guys like him around in moments like this. You know, It's a morale ha- boost. Yeah, it keeps it should be happy to be alive. Yeah. People are laughing. It didn't seem like the CO was super against it. I also think it's funny, you know, we put on a bop on the aux and <laughs> it, it's, it's thing. one thing and Egan only gets up because it's like, come on, I can't, I can't not. This is my song. And it's like, scooby dooby doo bop. <laughs> yeah. It's like 1940s, man. Yeah. 
1940. It would be like, yeah, if they played like All the Above by Mano and T-Pain. It'd be like, I literally can't not get up there and get on this mic right now. Like, no hands or something. Yeah, something yeah. like that. But yeah, you're right. This is, I'm sure, like Elvis or something like that. They might even Different be pre-Elvis. Yeah. Well, if it was Elvis, then Austin Butler would be up there singing. Ooh. I'd be insulted if he didn't. But Yeah, that's fair enough. That's fair enough. All right, so we get the sing-along. Kurt calls in from Scotland. That was a great scene that we already talked about. Douglas wins his bet, or maybe he doesn't win the bet by maybe or maybe not making Helen laugh. I thought his joke was worthy of a chuckle. That's just me. She's playing hard to get. And then also the commanding officer asks Crosby for a recommendation for kind of the desk navigator. So we already kind of checked all those boxes. And then, yeah, just to kind of wrap up part two, we have this bike race around the barracks that gets cut short by air raid sirens, essentially. So everybody has to dip out of the barracks and go to uh, they just get shelters. Yeah, shelters, bunkers, whatever Mm -hmm. it is. And they're just in the night sky that is being lit up by these just bombs. And they kind of just like talk about the reality of what they're going through. They're like. I think Bucky says, oh, those poor sons of bitches are probably going through it. And Buck's like, yeah, that could be us like tomorrow. Yeah, literally. It's close Um, enough that they can see it. They can hear it. All that kind of stuff. So, And they they name dropped Norwich, which was just fun for someone who likes English soccer. Yeah, there you go. I was like, oh, "Oh, Norwich. Clocked. I thought there was. (laughs) Clock it. (laughs) (laughs) I totally clocked it. Liverpool just took them down in the old FA Cup. Yeah, there you go. Uh, I did see on IMDb, what is Bucky's actor's name? Calum Tucker? Calum Tucker, I believe, yeah. Or Turner. Tucker Turner. Turner. Yes, Calum Turner, Turner, let's say. First line is he's a giant Chelsea fan. Ah, this guy. You know what? I think Dua Lipa is a Chelsea fan, too. Those two just living the dream then. Thanks, but whatever. Yeah, well, whatever. Happy for them. Anyway, Mm. yeah. Buck kind of tells the story about his dad who was addicted to gambling, which gives us the context of why Buck is who he is. Doesn't Mm -hmm. really mess around with sports. Probably a straight edge. That's might be why he's staying sober, too. And then we end our episode with Buck saying, you know, that RAF Royal Air Force son of a bitch was right. These daytime missions really are suicide. And then it kind of just pans out to their silhouettes looking at this this sky being lit up, lit up with bombs. And yeah. I mean, we haven't explicitly said it, but the visuals from start to finish in this show have been fantastic. Every single scene just looks terrific. Yeah, I saw people complaining on the Internet. Or maybe I saw people complaining about people complaining but about like the use of CGI and all that kind of stuff. And I have everything looked fucking fantastic to me. I'm pretty sure they used the, like the volume that like brand new CGI, like led screen technology thing Mm. that they used in like the 1989, which Netflix should bring back. But it's just like crazy. It's not like a green screen. It's like a bunch of like led screens that like rotate around. So they're like projecting like the actors could see it and all that kind of stuff. And yeah, I mean, I think it looks fucking fantastic, everything. Yeah, I can't say I'm familiar with that. I'll have to look it up. But I I was a little, what would you call it? I I was kind of hoping that they had more practical effects, which I I guess I'm saying I I was hoping for more real planes. But then I quickly thought, what are they going to do? Get like 25 B-17 bombers, (laughs) like run out of it. Like decisions had to be made to make them fit their budget but i no it it looks fantastic and everything in the interior of the planes i mean not that i can 
say yeah. that it looks realistic, but it looks pretty pretty damn good. Yeah, it looks realistic to me. <laughs> it looks realistic to me. Exactly yeah. right. Yeah, um, that's, that's enough for me, obviously. Yeah. I mean, that's our two episodes. Mm-hmm. You have not seen Band of Brothers, so this is, I guess, your your first step into these mini series. Mm-hmm. And I highly recommend you watch band of brothers, which it sounds like it's, it's high on your list here, but yeah. what do you think? I am very excited. I just, just literally thinking as we're wrapping this up, I'm just excited for episode three. I feel like the show yeah. is, I was convinced enough by these first two episodes that I'm like excited to get to the next one. And I'm a fan of the weekly drops type of things. I'm not much of a, a binger myself. So am I. Although obviously, binge town TV is always a, an ironic thing to say on the podcast, but so I'm just looking forward to the next installment. Really curious to see the different ways this can go. I'm I'm unsure if it will like if it will be as formulaic as like we're on the ground, like we're happy to be alive. Let's drink whiskey. Here's our mission, and then like if it's the same thing every episode, or we'll get a little bit of a change up, a curveball type of yeah. deal. So that'll be interesting. That the preview for episode three definitely intrigued me. I don't know if we want to talk about it because for fear of any types of spoilers, but I'm just well. You already know I didn't watch that. Yeah, so. yeah. it just kind of popped up, but I'm just yeah. excited. I think it's good. I think that the acting is good. I'm into the actors. I'm into the time period. I'm into the story. the The plane scenes are fucking fantastic. So. Definitely. Going in, I didn't know if I had a level of expectation because obviously I'm a blank slate in terms of Band of Brothers in the Pacific, but I, I'm i very, very satisfied and I'm very entertained, which I think is probably the most important part. Yeah, I mean, this is not really our shtick. Bingetown TV, we like fantasy, sci-fi, yeah. and that's like 90% of what we cover. So like the historical fiction, I guess, or borderline yeah. historical nonfiction, like... We don't do a lot of wartime shows like yeah. that, but especially Jim- this time period, I feel like World War II stuff, it, it, which is ironic also because I feel like that's mm-hmm. the most well covered like medium through yeah. like movies and TVs and things like that. But I feel like for me, historical interest is more like ancient history type of stuff. So this is a nice little just change up in somewhat of the same lane. So I I'm find. In- just World War II, so interesting. I'm by no means a history buff, but when I'm presented with something like this, I yeah. just eat it up. And I think this is just really well done, just like Band of Brothers, just like the Pacific was. And also, we keep on referencing those two, but Spielberg and Tom Hanks were together on Saving Private Ryan, which is Classic. arguably the thing that started it all, because that came even before Band of Brothers. So. Yeah. You know, my expectations were high and they're being met for sure. I, I was fully expecting this to be a good series and two episodes in. I am I'm very satisfied. And I'm thinking, Kyle, you said, I don't know how formulaic it's going to be. I feel like something is going to force us out of our comfort zone at yep. Thorpe Abbott or whatever. I'm thinking maybe the bombings that they were they were seeing at the end of the episode might be foreshadowing that next episode or a subsequent yeah. episode they might be hitting Thorpe Abbott. So yeah, and again to showcase our level of ignorance about World War II. I mean, maybe we move to a new base, we move onto the continent, mm-hmm. we're kind of bearing down on Berlin and Germany and all that kind of stuff. So just to see. How much time we cover in the series will be interesting going forward. For sure. All right. Anything else? No. No, that's it. Just excited for episode three. Sweet. Yeah, that was a fun one. That was a fun one. Yeah. I I liked covering that. 
As always, if you like what you heard, give Bingetown TV a follow on Twitter and Instagram. Visit us on BingetownTV.com and subscribe to our show on Spotify, YouTube, the Apple Podcast app, or wherever else you may find your podcast. Once again, we are Bingetown TV. And thanks for listening. Rack them up and knock them down. First time in the sawmill, boys. (laughs) You're listening to the Geekscape Network. 